Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal to simplify big ideas for greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number five of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer. I am your host, and I hope that our conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. Today's conversation is probably the most important conversation we can have. And I don't say that to build up this interview, but because it centers on who Jesus is and what Jesus said about himself. My guest today is Mark Clark. Mark is a senior pastor at the Village Church in Vancouver, Canada, which is a very progressive and post-Christian area in North America. Canada has been labeled as the canary in the coal mine for Americans. That if you want to see where American culture is heading, look no further than north of the border. That being said, Mark wanted to start a church for the sole purpose of reaching skeptics for Jesus, beginning in his living room, and then now 10 years later, it has morphed into several thousand people attending his church with several church campuses. It's a remarkable story. He is also the author of a book called The Problem of God, where he answers some of the biggest objections that people have about Christianity. And the thing that is remarkable is that what he writes about in this book is the fruit of many conversations he has had with individuals as well as corporately as a church. And today, I got to ask him about the problem that people have with Jesus. So without further ado, here's my conversation with pastor, author, and leader, Mark Clark. Well, I am honored to have as my guest, Mark Clark. Mark, uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to Thank you, sir. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, Mark, I, uh, I had the pleasure of being able to read through your book, and I have really enjoyed it. Um, but for those in our audience who may not know who you are, could you just share a little bit of who you are, how you became a Christian, what you do, and, and what led you to plant the village church in a secular place like Vancouver, Canada? Yeah, uh, well, all those things are kind of intertwined. Um, I uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home at all, a skeptical home, uh, atheist, agnostic family. And so uh, first time I walked into a church, I was 19. Uh, I'd gotten into Christian camps and stuff when I was earlier on, but um, and uh, and just kind of a skeptic myself and really wanting to kind of, if I was going to become a Christian, hunting down what's the best idea uh, in the marketplace of ideas about origins, meaning, morality, destiny, where we're going, how does, you know, how does all this play out? Who is Jesus? Is the Bible legit? All this stuff. So I went through a bunch of that, um, became a pastor a few years after becoming a Christian, actually. A bunch of people came into my life and said, hey, this is something you need to do. So I jumped on that. Um, and started in youth ministry and then moved out to Vancouver a bunch of years later so I could do a master's degree and was hoping to become an academic and do a PhD overseas. And then God called me to plant a church um, in Vancouver, just outside of Vancouver in British Columbia. So we started a church uh, after working at a particular um, church uh, for a while as a young adult pastor. Started it with, uh, yeah, 16 people in my house and just Hey, how do we reach people who don't believe in God in our culture? And um, so we started that about 10 years ago, and now it's morphed and grown to a uh, you know, multi-site church and do a lot of video campuses and all that kind of stuff, and, and God's been very gracious. So, uh, But still going after the skeptics, 
you know, Canada is a very post-Christian culture. So when I speak at American conferences, I like to say, you know, I come to you from the future. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Of where your country is going. We're probably a generation or two ahead of, you know, uh, where the U.S. would go in regard to secularization um, and, and that kind of thinking and how it plays out in a culture. And so we're really trying to, you know, do ministry in a post-Christian culture and what does that look like and so on. So, Wow, that's cool. Um, and your, um, this, the book you wrote, The Problem of God, and then soon to be The Problem of Jesus uh, that's mm. coming out, um, this kind of, um, it, it seemed like it kind of morphed out of um, your own wrestling and searching answers as well as um, kind of the response that you give to, to people. And so yeah. how, I guess, how has that tied the, I guess, um, how has that book tied into your own, I guess, ministry experience in Vancouver? Yeah. I mean, when we, when we first did a series on the stuff that I talk about in the book, which is, you know, like science, hell, the Bible, sex, exclusivity, hypocrisy, you know, all those kind of things. Um, the church grew by like, I don't know, 700 people or something, yeah. you know, in a couple weeks, in a week or so. So it was like, oh, okay, what, you know, what are we, what is this doing? Because I'd heard uh, all these rumors were out there because of postmodern epistemology and so on that, you know, nobody cares about these questions anymore. Um, and so we do a series and 700 people show up and it's like, oh, maybe they do. And they stayed after we tried to do our best to wrestle and answer those questions, you know, from a stage for people, um, kind of answer those deep kind of, you know, evil and suffering, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, so people, so it was born out of my own heart of trying to, you know, explore the answers to these questions and then provide them for other people in a preaching teaching ministry in post-Christian Canada and people showed up and, you know, found Jesus, found that the Bible really is the best, you know, form of ideas and offer in, you know, on display and out of the options and what are you going to do with this confrontation? And so problem of Jesus is um, coming at the person of Jesus himself more specifically and saying, okay, you know, uh, how do I explain the Gospels to a skeptic who believes that they're all, you know, a mess and full of mistakes and contradictions yeah. and they don't even make any sense? And how do you explain the historical Jesus, who he was, what was his actual life about? Um, and then the miracles, um, you know, all, all these aspects of Jesus' ministry that are like, cause people to go, well, I don't, you know, cost of discipleship, loving God you know, the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, but all of these amazing, the parables, um, parts about Jesus' life that are written both to the kind of academic skeptic, but also to the Christian. It kind of fuses together this kind of, um, let's go deeper if you already know Jesus, kind of almost devotionally theological reflection pastoral. But if you're an academic and a skeptic, let's talk about the miracles or the gospels or the person of Jesus from that perspective. So, uh, yeah, so that comes out uh, early next year, January 2021, I think. So, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, and uh, we, we as a church, we're working through um, a series on doubt, and so mm -hmm. I've been kind of addressing different um, uh, aspects where people kind of doubt. You know, doubting the Bible, right. doubting uh, God, doubting you know Jesus, 
And um, so anyways, what you have written has been very helpful from an academic and pastoral point of preaching on these. So, um, so we're, all, we're going through doubt. Um, how has doubt played a role in your life and your journey in faith? Yeah, I mean, there's always, there's always a sense of doubt in, in the sense, obviously, we can't see God. He's not standing in the room with me right now. And so my doubt drives me deeper into my faith because I actually need to figure out answers. Uh, and so I need to be like, okay, if I doubt the facts on something, I need to go explore those facts, investigate them, and figure out whether there's a legitimate reason to believe. Um, people often ask me, like, what, out of all the questions that could, like, derail your faith, you know, what, 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 what kind of, what are the, not derailing my faith, but what are the big questions that I'm asking? I'm constantly asking questions about the gospel, about evil and suffering about hell. These are things that are like, you know, these are big to me. Evil and suffering and hell are like, if these things are things, they continue to be things I wrestle with, even though I've written a book to answer them and, you know, kind of experientially trying to figure out how they work and they do work. Um, there's still things that, you know, create doubt in me oftentimes. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when it comes to Jesus. Yeah. What, I guess, what's the crux of the matter? Like, what sets Jesus apart from other worldviews and religions? Well, I mean, a lot of things. Um, he's claiming to be God incarnate. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's different than what most religious founders did. I don't actually know of one that claimed that. Some people claimed that other people might have been. Uh, trying to you know be that or whatever, but um, but Jesus is claiming to be God very clearly in the Gospels. Sometimes not in the way that we recognize it. Mm. So there's people who say, well, there's no you know he he never says the words I am God in that order. Ergo, it's written off. It's like, well, no, actually he he said things that his audience would wouldn't mistake yeah. because actually if he just said I am God to an Eastern philosophy uh, that doesn't mean anything because we're all gods. So he did something more interesting. He, he kind of cut through the, the first century Jewish, which was his audience. He wasn't a you know 21st century Canadian or guy from Illinois uh, or Oregon. Yeah. He, uh, he was a first century Jew speaking to them. And he made that claim that he is God in the way that they would have known him and scandalized. And they, see it. I mean, over and over and over again in the Gospels, they're like, oh, this guy claimed to be God. It's blasphemous. Let's throw him off a cliff and kill him. You know, they knew exactly what he was saying when he claimed certain things, though it may be more cryptic to us. And so part of the deal is we've got to get Jesus in his historical theological context to even understand what he's about because he's not talking like we talk. He's using language and images of the way they talk. And when you put him back in that context, what he's saying is extremely scandalous and life-changing. And it makes us reshuffle the furniture and of everything, identity, humankind, sexuality, marriage, heaven, hell, the whole thing gets reframed. Once we see him in his context, if we take him out of his context, we mess him up. Mm. You know, so, um, so he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the only way to God. 
And then he was claiming to accomplish the thing that humankind could never accomplish for itself, which is pay for its own sins, be acceptable in the presence of a holy and perfect God, all the things that religion would pump at you, right? Like you have to climb up the mountain, be a good person, do pilgrimages, give money, be righteous, you know? And he said, actually all that stuff can never save you. So I'm going to come and do all of this in your place so that you can trust in me and get my righteousness given to you. I mean, scandal, scandal, scandal over and over again. And, uh, He's very exclusivist in that way. He's, he's saying, I'm the only way out of your own sin. I'm the only way out of hell. I'm the only way out of the wrath of God for you. Uh, and that would just blow people up. I mean, that's very unique, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I You know, I used to think somebody, um, you know, I used to listen to Mark Driscoll a lot uh, when I first started coming to faith. And and then I read, you know, every, you know, a lot of people saw uh, Mark Driscoll's really offensive. And then you read the Gospels and you go, uh, I don't know about that. You know, Jesus is really offensive. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you put him in his context. He was, uh, he stirred things up for sure. Which is why, actually, my problem of Jesus' book starts with like six times where, you know, it's basically saying he was a scandal. Or the, the Greek word scandalizo. He was a, a stumbling block two people, you know, um, and right off the bat, even in Luke one, he's going to, he's going to cause the rising and the falling of many within Israel. Hmm. He's a scandal. He's a scandal. He's a scandal. So he does create scandal, but of course it's also a whole life of compassion and love and you know, all the rest of it. So full of grace, full of truth, both at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Now, Mark, um, you live in a very, very post-Christian era. You are, I'm speaking to a man in the future right now. Um, what, I guess, what are the hangups where you're at uh, with, with people encountering Jesus, his identity as the God man? What, what are the hangups that the people have with Jesus? Well, um, believe it or not, some of, uh, some, some people are actually doubting you know, there's been this kind of uh, rise of this, um, was Jesus actually a historical person, you know, narrative, right? Did he really exist or is he just like a Christ consciousness kind of thing? And um, so I actually, in the new book, actually have to prove that he's a historical person and the problem of God, I actually talk about this too in the Christ myth chapter where it's like, no, he was actually a historical person. Here's all the people outside the Bible that talked about him being a historical person. Um, and then, so everything from that to sexuality, you know, Christianity is too exclusive, you know, um, to, you know, the Bible's not legitimate. It's full of errors and problems. Um, I don't want to be just like, uh, kind of put all my eggs in one basket. What about a variety of different religions and ways the church has been hypocritical, you know, all the, all the kind of things I, I talk about in the book are the kind of the, the, the things that rise to the top of people in my area and reasons they reject Christianity. Yeah. 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 That was, I mean, very much, I remember in Portland, um, there was a, one of the free newspapers and one of the things on there was um, kind of an article about, you know, I guess Jesus being a myth, you know, not a historical person. Yeah. And uh, then I got the Bible college. I went, Oh my, you know, there's actually a lot more, um, uh, 
evidence for that than there is against it. You know, I mean, yeah. no, no serious historian would ever doubt this, you know? No. Um, what has there been as you kind of um, do ministry in Vancouver and I guess all over wherever, wherever you go, has there been, you know, I guess a couple of explanations, one or two explanations that have really helped um, doubters and skeptics overcome their doubt in Jesus identity. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes, sometimes it starts with like the whole science thing. So I know there's a bunch of people in our church who are like, you know, scientists, smart people, and they realize that Christianity can actually really, you know, go together very well with scientific endeavors uh, that actually the deeper we delve into science, whether that's cosmology or astrophysics or biology or philosophy, the evidence keeps rising for the existence of God, not moving away from the existence of God. And so uh, the DNA strands, the Big Bang, the, you know, the, the, the teleological stuff about this all seems to have a purpose and an angle and where it's going and you know, the, the idea that we're this far away from the sun and tilted on this axis and it's perfectly set up for human life and all of these things and the chances of it, a universe like ours ever coming into existence, the mathematical probabilities, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the laws of nature that would have had to exist for the Big Bang to even work, which means they had to preclude, they had to actually exist already for the big bang to do its thing. Where did that come from? You know, all of that stuff uh, is, is moving people actually toward belief in the existence of God rather than away from him. So the deeper we go, I mean, Darwin was dealing with, you know, uh, looking at microscopes and dealing with models. And we're actually now looking into DNA strands, something he couldn't have imagined we'd ever do. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we're seeing that the more we're learning, the more the existence of a God, a mind is making sense. And so that's a big piece of, you know, the people who show up to village are like doctors and scientists and people, you know, whatever they're like, yeah, this actually makes rational sense that God exists. And then you have the people on the other hand, who are, you know, there's, there's two kinds of doubts, right? There's the one kind of doubt is evidential. You know, and the other kind of doubt is moralistic. And so evidential is like the science, the history, the philosophy. The moralistic, which is kind of the second half of the problem of God, is like, I don't like your view on sex or uh, I don't like your view on hell. I, I, we're not now in a, in, a, in a conversation about history or data. We're now in a conversation about opinion and, and your gut. My gut, I can't tell you why. I can't, I can't you know, whatever. It's in my gut now tells me I don't like this. It's less a doubt and more a repulsion. Mm. And so you're also battling that when you try to communicate with people constantly. Um, and so, yeah, being able to try to communicate as a leader and a preacher and a teacher to both those kinds of doubts at the same time every week is what I think we need to be able to do and show that Jesus is the answer to those things. Wow. I haven't, uh, I haven't had to put it like that. Um, that's really good and super challenging, especially, you know, when you go, there's something in me that says, I don't like that. I can't trust that, but I can't 
put my thumb on it. You know, like that, that adds a little bit extra challenge to you. And so, so you found it helpful kind of to, I guess, break down that faulty assumption between um, the church and science. That's been helpful for people to see that. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of call out the false dichotomy of it. And, you know, as, as you know, you read the book, I talk about some of the, these myths throughout history where it's like, oh, you know, the church did this and killed all these witches and killed all these scientists. And it's like, no, no, you go and you look at the data. It's actually not true. Um, The church funded science, like science, always knew that science kind of reflected on the glory of God. You know, the more we, you know, that natural science, the general revelation, you know, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I, I love that bit. That was great. I think, I think most of your book is yellow. <laughs> so, <laughs> love it. With a highlighter, yeah, it's good. Well, well that's good to hear. Mind. Thank you. What's that? That's good to hear. Thank you. That it's actually helpful. Yeah. Oh man, it's been yeah. fantastic. Awesome. It's been fantastic. I, I couldn't recommend it any, any more. So, oh, um, well, Mark, you have a lot of conversations. This is something near and dear to your heart and communicating the truth of scripture, the truth of Christ to people is, is so essential. I mean, that's, that's what you're doing, what you're doing. Would you give any advice to somebody who has a friend and they're, they're doubting, they're wrestling with whether or not they should believe in Jesus as uh, God? Um, Would you give any, do you have any advice for how to navigate that conversation? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, one of the things you, you do is you probably have to work back from let's let's read the, the authoritative narrative called the Bible, the passages where he actually claims this and really wrestle that to the ground first, because that's going to come into doubt and challenge later, whether that's by cults or different people. So really getting that clear. Let's agree that Jesus actually claimed this about himself. Then let's look at his life what other people around him said about him. Um, and then let's look at the fact of whether he died and rose again and how, you know, the arguments for the historical rise of the church and the fact that Jesus' body is never found and the Roman guards are guarding it and it's all in Rome's best interest to make sure that they actually have the body of Jesus, but it's never been found, you know, all of these kind of things. Um, and working backwards from man, if the resurrection happened, then maybe, well, not maybe, it makes logical sense that he is who he claimed to be. Mm. You know, the resurrection vindicates his ministry for three years. So let's go back and look at what he claimed and who he claimed, what the Bible's claiming, and then really look at the face and say, Christianity's claim is that he's exegeting God to us. He's showing us who God is um, by way of compassion and love and, and judgment and truth. Um, and, uh, and the fact that he called his own death and resurrection and then actually did it should maybe make us take him serious about his, all of his other claims, you know, and so really kind of wrestling with that. So I would sit across someone and say, yeah, you're probably not just going to believe right off the bat, um, that he was God or whatever. Uh, but let's look at the resurrection and work backward from there and let's look at his own claims and see if they, you know they make sense. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's good. So start with, with the identity statements of who Jesus claimed to be and then go to the resurrection and then. Yeah. Because I think those, I think the Bible actually has a big effect on skeptics when they actually read it. Yeah. 
you know, rather than just like, like, like Augustine said that the Bible is the face of God for us now. Mm. And it's like, it actually has a, for me, I read the Bible for two and a half years before I ever walked into a church and it had the authoritative effect on me that it taught me what I knew. It shaped my theology. It was, it was God confronting me in my life through the scriptures, not through like a formalized church context. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I, I mean, they, uh, smarter people say that with, you know, with Muslims, one of the most important things you can do is get them to read the gospels. And I mean, I remember the first time I read the gospels, I laughed all the way through it because I couldn't believe this was Jesus. You know, everything that I thought about Jesus or heard about Jesus was so different than the actual Jesus I met in the gospels. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, Mark, um, what have been, when you think about your understanding, your knowledge of Jesus, what have been, you know, I guess some of the most influential books for you regarding Jesus outside of, you know, the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about Jesus specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Uh, I would say N.T. Wright's book, Jesus and the Victory of God. Uh, huge influence uh, on on my thinking. Um, uh, John P. Meyer wrote a book, uh, six volumes, I think, called "The Marginal Jew." Oh, okay. Um, it's a little, you know, heavy, pretty dense stuff, but um, uh, you know, it's a great book. Um, James Dunn, uh, "Jesus Remembered," also, you know, pretty dense, but uh, really good stuff. Um, Actually, on a, on a popular level, you know, Jesus I Never Knew, or, yeah, Jesus I Never Knew uh, by Philip Yancey. Yeah. Uh, super good. And then, uh, you know, anything Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis about how to kind of take that and live it out and how to think properly and kind of work it through, um, you know, pretty huge. Uh, anything by John Stott, you know, around Jesus has been fantastic. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, those are good. Good books. Um, well, Mark, um, I want to kind of respect your time. Is, is there anything um, that you would like to say about faith, doubt, and Jesus? Yeah, I mean, lots to say, but I think he's the answer to the doubt. He's, he, he, didn't, he didn't beat up the doubters. He didn't take Thomas out and, you know, you know knock, him, knock him off his chair for being a doubter and a skeptic. He didn't do the same with Mary at the, you know, at the tomb on Easter morning when she came up with like four different reasons why his body wasn't there. Oh, they stole it. Hey, you know, Jesus finally shows up. He's like, hey, what are you, you know, she doesn't even really, oh, who are you? I don't even know you. I think they stole the body. Like, you know, this is a, a world of skeptics. Yeah. Um, and so kind of run through your skepticism, research, you know, run the ramp of reason before taking the leap of faith um, and understand that, you know, it's Christian faith is informed by actual data and it's not, it's different than other religions because other religions are based on either like jurisprudence, like the, the interpretation of law or esoteric thinking about getting to a state of enlightenment, um, being good enough thinking properly, um, that's for elitists. Like, who can be smart enough to be saved under either of those paradigms? And Christianity comes along and goes, no, Jesus did this for you. Um, you know, embrace his work on your behalf. As one of my favorite pastors says, in the end, I'm going to stand before God 
and there's going to be two options for me. One is going to be to show my record, uh, and the other one is going to be to show Jesus' record on my behalf, and he says, I, I only find hope in the second one. You know, so um, in the midst of doubt, you don't have to be perfect as, as Keller gives that great image when you, if you fall off a cliff and you, you land on top of a tree and it's sticking out of the side of a mountain and you're sitting on it, what matters is not the strength of your faith. What matters is the strength of the tree. Hmm. And this accomplishment that Jesus did for us is so strong and deep that we, you know, our, the, the amount of faith we have isn't what actually saves us. It's, it's the depth of what he did that saves us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so allow that to inform your doubt as you, you know, live life out, trying to figure all this out, recognize he's, he's actually with you in the midst of it. Um, and uh, because of, of, of the accomplishment of his work versus your work. So. Mm. That's good. That's good. And what, a, what an encouraging reminder that our, our yeah. salvation, our faith is not based on what we do and all of that. It's based on Jesus and what he did for us, you know? So yeah. that's good. Um, Mark, I just want to say uh, thanks so much for one, uh, oh. doing the hard work of... Um, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yes, yeah. Thanks for writing the book. Thanks for your willingness to have this conversation and uh, cool. we appreciate it. Wasn't that such a profound conversation and yet at somehow so down to earth? If you haven't hit rewind yet, I'm sure you're going to want to re-listen to this again. And if you want to get some of the big picture points from our interview, I have included them in the show notes. You just simply can look at the notes and find them. I have heard from many of you a lot of positive feedback from these interviews, how they have encouraged you and caused you to think a little bit deeper about the topics that we are talking about. And I'm so grateful that these interviews are encouraging and challenging you. This is the goal of the interviews. But I want to ask that you do one thing for me. Could you just take a moment uh, to like these interviews on iTunes, rate them, and comment, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to them, and just leave a brief comment. It helps more people get access to these conversations, and hopefully they can help more people make a greater impact for Christ. Next week, we are talking about leadership, and my guest is my own brother-in-law, Devin Robertson. Uh, Devin is the lead pastor at Cornerstone Christian Church in Jackson, Michigan, and I'm really excited about the interview with Devin, not because he's my brother-in-law, but because he has a great perspective when it comes to leadership, and he has had a lot of time leading while being a young leader. And so if you are leading a staff, a business, a family, or simply leading yourself, this is going to be a great conversation for you. Why? Because it is all about leading into the unknown and the uncharted waters, which, if you're not aware, this is exactly the context that many of us find ourselves in. Well, I hope this conversation today has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week as we talk about leadership. Thank you.